So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.G. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. I am so excited about today's podcast. It, it will be the best podcast we've ever done. I may be a little biased, but that's okay. Uh, so all of you that know my story and know about me know and have heard about my father, who is my mentor. He's obviously my dad, but he's also my best friend. I have been working with him since I was little, and it is an interesting evolution on how he got to where he is. And it's a story unlike anyone that we've ever had on this podcast. And it's something that I, I can't wait for everybody to hear because it is, uh, it's, it's surprising and amazing. So without any further ado, let's bring on one of the most important people in my life, Ron Osborne. How you doing, AJ? Doing good. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> So we've been, you know, running around all day, getting some stuff done and everything. And we've been trying to carve out a time here and, you know, with all the craziness and everything going on in the world, I think that your story especially is awesome for new investors, new entrepreneurs and everything getting started. So why don't you tell people to get started a little bit about your background, where you came from and how you even got started? You bet. I'm happy to do that. Uh, I grew up in a little rural town in Idaho, southern Idaho. Population was, oh, I don't know, between six and 800. And grew up with uh, two brothers and a sister. And mom and dad, My uh, we were really kind of hillbilly type folks. Uh, we did not have indoor plumbing. Uh, we did not have telephone. And uh, we got indoor plumbing when I was about eight or nine years old. It was a tiny little shack of a house. And uh, somewhere around that time, too, we got a gas stove so that we had to heat because uh, prior to that, it was just a wood stove. And, and so uh, we were very, very poor. Um, my father passed away when I was 10 years old. Uh, he had had a heart defect and had had a stroke a couple years earlier. And then uh, my mother raised the four of us. And so we um, had uh, very limited means. I remember when we got uh, indoor plumbing, and we were so excited. We just were thinking the best thing in the world ever happened. It li limited means is an understatement for all of us spoiled uh, <laughs> youth here. Um, I've obviously been to the house that he grew up in, and um, I, I obviously know the story, and he, he is being very modest. Um, it was extreme poverty at its best, unlike anything that, I've ever seen today. Americans do not live in this kind of poverty. Um, and this was not, uh, my dad is not that old. This was not, you know, we're not talking about, you know, the Great Depression, anything else like that. This is, you know, we're talking about the 70s, folks. This is not, you know, this is the 60s and 70s that, you know, he grew up and was raised in. It's, this is not a time when people didn't have ways to communicate and have running water. Um, and so what did you do for money? Because your, your father's now passed away. How did you get by? Yeah, we had, um, we had grew a garden to have food. We um, poached deer. 
um, to have meat. And um, during the hunting season, when it was actually hunting season, we would hunt deer. And my mother, um, both my mother and father never graduated from high school. And uh, so my mother uh, cleaned homes and did uh, some side jobs initially, eventually um, got a job working in the cafeteria at local grade school. And so back then, too, they did not have all the social benefits that our country offers now for the very, very poor people. And um, so as I was growing up in the 60s and 70s, it was uh, 1974 before we had a telephone in our house. And uh, so I was 14 years old then. And so my mother earned a little bit of money. Um, when I was uh, very young, I did little odds and ends, mowed the neighbor's uh, lawn and a few things like that to try and uh, earn a little money of my own. But uh, we did not have much. We, I was probably 12 years old before... Uh, somebody had purchased or bought uh, a hamburger, a little hamburger joint uh, uh, stand for us. And I thought that was the greatest thing I'd ever had in my life was uh, food at, uh, that wasn't in my home. And so we, we uh, raised chickens and pigs uh, to, for food. And so we had those kind of things. We had to raise most of our own food because we had limited money and resources at our home. Another thing I'd love to you to talk about if you, if you would if you would like to, is a little bit of grandma's situation for her growing up. Because, you know, I think so many of us talk about poverty, but we don't understand what really survival means. And this is more than, you know, this is the case in this situation. It's more than poverty. It was just literally getting by day to day. Um, So why don't you tell a little bit about grandma's situation when she was growing up. Yeah, my mother had grown up uh, just near where I'd grown up, and her um, father had come out from Missouri in the early 1900s for work, and she grew up in a kind of a unique or odd situation where um, my grandpa had um, brought out his wife and her sister, and they ended up being um, two mothers in my mom's family. And my mother was the youngest of eight children between the two sisters. And um, he was obviously married to one um, in terms of a formal actual marriage and not to the other, but they had uh, an odd situation in this um, little town. And um, and this wasn't religious. This was nothing like that. It was nothing to do with religion. <laughs> it's just circumstances. And um, so uh, it was uh, obviously a very odd situation. And then at uh, some point while my mother was still young, she lost both of those mothers. And her oldest sister um, ended up kind of raising her. So it was a strange circumstance. And then... Uh, they grew up very poor also, and so it's, uh, yeah, it's an odd background I have. Well, tell them about um, now, you know, as you're a teenager and growing up, you took a very different path than the rest of your family. Why don't, to give some context, why don't you talk a little bit about my uncles and aunt and, and tell them a little bit about that before we get into where you went. Yeah, my two brothers got involved in drugs and alcohol very young. My, uh, I was the third in the family, 
had an older brother and sister and then a younger brother. And um, my youngest brother dropped out of school at 14. By age 16, was in juvenile detention or prison. And um, my older brother um, ended up spending a number of uh, different times in prison also. Over time, my two brothers um, ended up, um, due to drugs and alcohol, in uh, jail, prison. Um, And my oldest brother uh, passed away at about age 50. Um, My sister lived till about three years ago to age um, 62 and died because she had uh, serious health issues and had um, been involved with different, um, she'd never married her whole life, been involved in different guys that had uh, prison time and stuff like that. My younger brother's the only one left alive out of my family, um, and he is in and out of prison to this day. And I made a decision as a teenager that I was going to escape that life and that uh, pattern of uh, that our, my brothers and sisters and others were involved in. And uh, so I looked for any ways to escape, and I was the first in my family to go to college. So I took a different route. Well, and not only, you know, my uncle, your older brother, we don't even know exactly where he is right now. We've tried to. He is homeless, and we can occasionally catch him in homeless shelters and things like that. Or actually the best way in records that we have to know where he is is because of the prison records. So we, you know, if you need to find him, we start calling up prisons and homeless shelters to see if we, we can find him in, in throughout the Northwest. Um, but your life is so extremely different than the path that was set out before you, that was designated for you to live. It was the path that everyone else followed. Why don't you walk us through and tell us how, how'd you break out of this cycle of extreme poverty, drug use, and just, you know, what I think most would consider despair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. And I don't know if I always know the full answer other than I didn't want to go down that road. It was uh, just a major part of uh, my family and heritage. And I didn't like it, didn't want to go down that road. So I never did. And uh, looked for ways to um, go a different route. So I uh, ended up choosing good friends that um, lived different lives. Um, their families, they were good friends and their families were kind to me. Um, I had um, um, counselors in high school help me figure out how to get to college. And I, the only reason I could because we were so poor was I got a full tuition scholarship for the first year. And so I uh, went off to college. I worked hard in high school. Um, I did... Uh, um, every job I could to earn money and so that I could save to uh, run away and leave that environment. And I went to my mother the year before I graduated from high school and let her know that I was going to leave home as soon as I graduated from high school, and I was never coming back. And uh, so she had me kind of explain what I was thinking, what I was planning on doing, and that's what I did. You know, it's interesting here before we get to kind of the meat and everything in the crux if you go fast forward um this has always interested me obviously because of um 
our situation and my father and mother and where they came from. But if you look at our family now, all your children have not only graduated from college, um, but advanced degrees. They work in everything from sales and tech to in the army to, you know, writing. And obviously we um, work together. And none of you broke the cycle. None of your children followed that at all. In fact, they took a totally different approach. When you look at the implications of breaking a poverty cycle, to me, this is the definition of it. This is not. This is the impact for generations to come, um, including your grandchildren now, that will never even remotely know anything of a world that you came through. They won't even be able to comprehend that in comparison to the life that they live now. Um, which is probably the best thing you could ever give anyone, obviously. And uh, I know me and my family, we're obviously extremely grateful for your great decisions. Um, And so tell me a little bit about after you got done with college, where'd you go and why'd you choose those paths? Because of um, the financial situation when my scholarships and stuff uh, ran out, I actually did not complete college. I didn't have the money or resources, and um, I married at 21 years old. Uh, I married way over my head. Yes, he did. uh, To to somebody who uh, continued to be married to to this day, 39 years later. And um, so uh, I've been grateful for that, and we had common goals. We wanted to have a family, and so we wanted to raise them right and do the best we could. So I worked extremely hard to um, try and achieve and have a life totally different from what I had known and grown up in. And I didn't know exactly how to do it or how to get there, but I worked extremely hard for many years and uh, been very grateful for where things have turned out, how they've gone. And um, so we raised four kids and um, we just loved having a family and loved having a different life than everything I'd known. My wife came from a whole different uh, type of life. She had had a very uh, middle-class life, a farm girl with great parents and great family. So uh, she's been uh, obviously a a great model for where we wanted to go and be. Yes, and uh, my mother reminds us constantly that, especially compared to my dad, the little farm girl was definitely upper class. And so that should show you the gap uh, of the lifestyle um, when the farm girl was the you know, upper class. And uh, she was. They, they had a totally different attitude. Now, let me ask you this. When you're looking, and a lot of people don't know where to go or what to do in life, your career decisions that led you to a successful career and, you know, managing capital and everything that you do now, walk us through about those opportunities, how you found them and how you took advantage of them when you had no basis for opportunities. There were no opportunities that were flooding to you. That didn't exist. So how did you create them? And how did you recognize them? I mean, walk through that 
path. I know that's a lot of people that are starting out. They feel like they have nothing. They have no doors, which I disbelieve. I don't, you know, obviously I, you know, I have my dad. I think that's just not true at all. So, um, walk us through how that happened for you. Yeah. I, I didn't know really where to go or what direction to go. And fortunately I crossed paths with some good people. There was, um, um, senior vice president of an insurance company that I, kind of met and crossed paths with. And um, he asked me what I was going to do in life. And uh, it was uh, between semesters at college. And I said, well, I'm going back to college. And he said, what are you going to do after that? And I said, I have no idea. And he said, well, I think you would be a great fit for um, an insurance agency that um, is very successful for our company. And I'd like to uh, refer you to them and have you have them meet up with you. And I said, sure, whatever. And life went on and I didn't think about it again. And uh, some months later, I received a call from them asking me to come in for an interview and um, didn't even realize who they were at the time until they had mentioned the gentleman that had referred me. So I went and sat down with them and decided to uh, take a position with them as a sales for insurance. And um, and uh, did very well there. That started me out in a career of finding where my skill set was and those things that I liked. And then from there, I did sales and insurance and uh, began an insurance agency. And then after several years... this was years, starting in life insurance, right? Yes. So mm-hmm. you were knocking doors yes. to individuals in the evening Yep. Yep. trying to sell yep. life insurance. Exactly. And then along the way got involved with selling small group employee benefits, health insurance. Um, And a representative there uh, told me about um, their company, one of the Blue Cross Blue Shields that uh, um, needed some help, was looking for a guy, and he felt like I'd be a good fit. And I ended up talking to them, and they hired me and brought me on. So I went from an independent agency to an employee for um, a Blue Shield plan. And uh, shortly after getting started there, they wanted to take me into their corporate office and have me run their whole marketing operation for the state. And uh, a few months later, I was in their corporate office, director over all their sales for the state, and did that for five years. When a national, um, at the time, second largest national publicly traded employee benefit firm reached out to me and wanted me to uh, come and be over their office in the Boise market. And I took that opportunity. And uh, from there, after uh, seven years with them and moving up to their top position here, I then had an opportunity to, uh, they sold the company and um, to another the publicly traded company. And I decided that was not uh, the fit for me with the new company. They'd been the competitor. So I decided to start an employee benefit agency. So I left them and went out and started that, turned it into the largest one in the state and one of the largest in the Northwest and uh, did that for many, many years. And um, then eventually um, eight years ago, sold that to a publicly traded company. Uh, during that time, I expanded into real estate with um, purchasing and or building, having some built uh, office buildings that I owned, uh, four mini storage facilities um, in um, a couple states, 
and just expanding to use real estate as a diversification from an asset that was a treadmill and it wasn't a real asset. At the end of the day, your your asset goes home, if you will. They Your employees, which are your best asset in those kind of things, they go home every day and you hope they come back. And um, we had a lot of success that way. And as a result, though, I looked for real estate diversification. Along the way, I worked extremely hard, developed great relationships with some of the, um, you know, top professional people in the industry, um, close relationship with um, the Blue Cross of Idaho president, and um, built great relationships with some of their executives and, and others. And as a result of these relationships, these the very, very hard work, the hiring very qualified, good employees, and um, building these businesses and being conservative about my personal money so that um, I could make sure that I was taking care of our family, our future, and as a result of these different things, I built uh, you know, assets that were real, real estate-type assets in, in, in the storage business. And when we sold the agency to the publicly traded at an extremely attractive pricing, it allowed a greater expansion of that. And that's kind of where we've taken to it over my career. Now, you know, it's interesting as we talk through and, and go walk back through history and, you know, where you've come, what you've done, everything that you've seen. There's some reoccurring themes, and uh, I love these reoccurring themes to where we are right now, which, by the way, um, you're not out of insurance. No, no still in still it. Still in it. Yep, yep. <laughs> so um, it's just loaded up more. It's just we just create more work. You never, never get out of one. Um, so I, I want to go back and hit on a few points, which um, were things that I learned growing up. Um, when I was growing up, right, you know, we, I lived in a, a very conservative family. My father was very conservative with money. Um, we did not have blinds in our house for how long? A while. A while, years. Um, because they didn't buy blinds because they wanted to pay off the house. Um, these were things that we just did. And coming from his poverty, he placed things of priority in front of luxury items or in front of play or desire. Um, this was always a staple of our home. We knew that we worked first. And then if there happened to be a chance to play afterwards, we would. And growing up as a teenager in a home where your father leaves a stable job and becomes an entrepreneur starting a benefits brokerage, then I learned um, some other things. Um, first of all, I learned as a teenager working for my dad, going around the state doing benefits meetings, that insurance is really, really boring. <laughs> um, so that was probably the first and most important thing that I learned. Um, yeah. We would drive around, and as he sat up and gave meetings to people, I would fall asleep next to him um, in front of everybody because it was so boring. So, um, but what I learned was the the what he'd mentioned before is the network. And this was always a 
understanding that you are only as good as the people that you surround yourself with. And they took great care to make sure they looked at the influences in our home. This was, these are all lessons that, of course, you know, I brought. And as working with my dad and as growing the, you know, and doing all the stuff that he just talked about as we went forward, those foundational principles kept through. And, uh, you know, me and my wife, we lived on half our income and all those things, even though we didn't need to. But it was something that was just driven home. And that allowed, you know, me to have success as we came through and built those things. But the thing that always lasted to me, once again, it was the structure of priorities that you and my mother had. Um, It didn't matter when we were making no money. It didn't matter when you started making money. It didn't matter, you know, what time of life we were in, the fact that you'd started a business and didn't have a secure job. None of those things changed the priorities. Those were consistent. And it was those consistent priorities and understanding of what value is that built everything from there and that carried over to all the children, right? Once again, growing up, you know, I vacations for me was playing on the farm. I literally didn't know any different. My parents would take me and drop me off at the farm and I got to play with the cousins, which meant I got up at 6 a.m. and worked. And that's what I thought was a vacation. Later on in our teen years, you took me to see the ocean and Oregon, I think it was. And um, that was the first time I'd ever even seen the ocean when I was a teenager because we didn't do things like that. Um, and it's and two though, I didn't, I had an amazing childhood. I had the best childhood anyone could ever imagine. Um, and I loved the time we spent. And I love the fact that my parents prioritized those things. I just cannot stress these things enough that the the circumstances that you put yourself in dictates the outcome. And your story is such a perfect example of this. The opportunities arise because you changed your circumstances. It was a conscious decision that you made to go down a different path to raise your children in another way that will pay off for generations and generations. And, you know, as we've talked about, as we started our companies and everything for so long, the joy of real estate and passive income and all the, you know, all that other stuff, um, that it is generational, right? We can, this is something that my children, hopefully their children's children can be a part of. And this is something that can be passed on, but it's only as good as the foundation that it's passed on to. Once again, my children, as you know, will not grow up anywhere near anything that you did, or even me, they, that's a life they won't know. But it's not, it, you got to make sure that they don't get f- confused on what made the success and what drives success, which is principles, things that you still practice today, as well as me. And, these, as, and as long as we stay true to those foundational principles, we can continue to grow. And even today, nothing's changed. We still do the same things we've been doing for years and since you've been since I was a teenager since I grew up and you know it didn't matter what businesses we started it didn't matter where we went um, those foundations remain strong and I see a lot of people that lose their way and that's something that you have definitely never done and anyone that knows you 
knows that you've never, ever lost your way. Um, when you see other people as they're starting out and as they're growing, what do you think are the reasons that stop people from having that kind of success? What are the things that trip up people? Well, I think uh, one of the things is in terms of business, there, there, there's two different things that people can do, their personal lives and um, perhaps making bad decisions or doing things that um, they shouldn't do that hurt their family is one. The other is bad business decisions. And realizing that everybody didn't come from the background I came from, but when I look at that, not only the background of my childhood, but when your mom and I were 21 years old and we got married in September 1981, mortgage interest rates for homes were 18%. Unemployment was at that time one of the highest since the Great Depression. And so we just assumed we'd never, ever be able to own a home with mortgage or interest rates at 18%. And so once we did, when they came off of that uh, over the next few years and actually were able to get in home, interest rates are still in the teens. We spent and saved everything we could to pay off our mortgage early because we didn't want to be spending that kind of interest rate. So um, our goal was to always pay off our home before we ever got to age 40, which we did. And then it's interesting since then, now interest rates are for mortgages are whatever, 3.5%. And if they change a quarter or half point, people freak out and stop buying. And, and buy. I just kind of chuckle and laugh, like, <laughs> really? And um, But uh, as a result of those kind of things, not only my childhood experience, um, then our young adult experience and trying to make sure we, one, worked hard, saved money, were cautious about our personal debt and or business debt, and balanced it between that, working hard and making good decisions, personally, as well as business. Because as I see and watch businesses, whether it's uh, retail or professional businesses, um, people that get started, um, I think sometimes have uh, great goals and good intent, but they go down a road that is not ideal for becoming successful. For example, um, they go into uh, uh, maybe a restaurant-type business or something, something that has very thin, small profit margins. And the risk with that, unless you go into it with a substantial amount of money, is that um, if you have, like we've had recently with the COVID-19 or something, where there's shutdown or a, a recession-type economy, if you don't have the kind of um, money and reserves and stuff to um, take care of you, you can be out of business because the margins are small. So I looked for businesses that I liked. I enjoyed going to work every day. I enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed the people I worked with. At the same time, they had sufficient enough margins that could weather the storm of some downturns, which I've been through a number of more in my life. And um, so uh, it's those type of things you got to look at at a bigger picture and a longer term so that you have a chance to be successful to business. But one of the main things is you got to do something you like, you enjoy doing, and you go to work every day and enjoy doing. That's important. You know, it's when I look back at uh, you know everything that's gone over on in the last 15 years, it's kind of crazy. It's, you know, it's a crazy world we live in. Um, and 
through the ups and downs of these market cycles and what we've seen in the United States, one of the things that you know we always had in an always had an understanding of was that the business is only good as that revenue management is provided. Um, so starting in a high cash flowing business, which is what benefits was because it was sales. And as long as we sold, we made money, um, which I talk about a lot. I, I love that because we were in control of our destiny, right? We could decide if we wanted to, if we wanted to make more money, we just got, went out and sold. The downside to that high cash flowing business was that the source of the capital, right? We didn't own, so it can be there led to more risk of fluctuations in the revenue. Hence the reason the margins had to be so large, um, which is why we came up with the idea to offset that with real estate, which we still do insurance um, because of the cash flow margin. And, you know, we are very keen on downturns and recessions and want to make sure we have backup plans and all that. But when you look at people's personal lives, like, and you look at their, they have a W-2, they have income coming in on their personal finances. What are the things that you would tell somebody if they have a W-2, right? They're looking at diversifying into real estate. They're trying to offset their income, um, whether that's a sales job like it was us, whether that's a high paying salary job or whether it's a low pay paying W-2 job, um, maybe hourly. What are some things that people can do to start to stack? Because it's important to know, um, and, and this is really important. There was times where in our businesses, it, it was really dark. As anyone that's owned a business knows, when you go through these things, there's really hard times. And lots of businesses can't make through that, which we've been very fortunate to make it through. But people have that in their own lives and then you should run their finances like a business. So what would you tell people? Like, how do you create those opportunities, even if you have a W-2 or a sales job or whatever it is, right? You don't own necessarily the assets that produce the income, but you're looking at trying to get into real estate or whatever that may be. How do you do that as an individual? How do you stack opportunities in your favor? No, those are good points because W-2 individuals um, obviously oftentimes have the least uh, advantages from a tax standpoint and as opposed to other potential things such as real estate assets, depending on what they are. And so um, it's one of those things that as if you're a W-2 person, you need that basic or steady income to uh, cover the basic expense in life you need to look at ways to um, offset maybe some of the um, tax consequences, such as 401ks, deferred comps, IRAs, um, those type of things, as well as uh, simply saving money personally and, um, you know, paying off your mortgage early, um, uh, if that's the, the case. Although in the current market with low interest rates, sometimes that may not be the best thing to do. Um, so you might want to invest it in other things where the market's doing well. And, um, you know, uh, whether it's a mutual fund or whatever it might be to simply build some cash and extra money that protects you both going into any downturn or even better as you do that over time to invest in some type of real estate asset um, so, so that you can have 
um, a real estate asset that generates income. Um, as we know, having a home and um, uh, over time and stuff is a good thing, but also homes take money. They take a lot of money to maintain them, keep them up, those type of things. So you need to look at a way to get something that will generate income, not just be an expense. And um, also that can create some potential tax advantages, um, which as we know, government changes the tax laws periodically time to time. And right now, though, as in general, they're pretty favorable. And it's a good time to have that. And uh, it can offset some of those tax expenses that W-2 income have. So depending on your circumstances or if you have two incomes in a family, um, you know, uh, one maybe professional services, the other a W-2, you can look at ways to take some of the uh, income from one of those to uh, put towards a real estate asset that is a long-term um, investment. So I think that, you know, another thing people get often really frustrated with is um, so many people aren't patient. Um, I'm not. And, uh, you know, but when we look at everything, you know, that we've done and where we've gotten to, um, first of all, when we started and everything, we didn't, it's, it's, this is not where we thought we'd end up, right? I, I assumed I would just be selling insurance for my whole life. I liked it. We enjoyed what we were doing, right? There was nothing, you know, at all that. But um, other opportunities and circumstance changed. How do you identify opportunities when your circumstance changes? Because what I found is most of the time when the circumstances change, it's usually not in your favor. It's not like you need to make decisions to get out of something or do something because the circumstances are in your favor. It's they're not. How do you still keep a firm foundation and cool head to take advantage of those opportunities so that you can continue growing? right? And not ruin that growth cycle because it takes so long. This is not, once again, we had no idea we would be here today. Like none at all. This is not how it started. It's not like we sat down and made a plan, you know, everything like that. We changed the plan. Our goal was always the same to work together and, you know, have family and all that kind of stuff. But we took advantage of opportunities as they come, even though that's really hard because if you don't know the end in sight, how do you make sure you're making the right decisions and taking opportunities, even when it may not be be convenient or may actually be scary? All right. I think the one of the best ways is to make sure you're getting advice from sound, qualified uh, people that know what they're talking about and um, not from somebody that probably doesn't know what they're talking about. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and as a result, that can get you in trouble. And so, um, but I, I think getting uh, advice, counseling, um, recommendations from people that have experienced these different areas, whatever it might be, you know, storage or anything else, real estate that you're going into, whether it's uh, you want to buy a duplex or a rental home or whatever it might be, um, you need to make sure you're getting good, sound counsel and advice from professional people that know what they're talking about. And that could include an array of people in that industry to, you know, your accountant, to, to uh, also legal counsel in some areas, make sure you're doing it right. Yeah, this, um, once again, this comes from that network effect you were talking about. And I know I harp on this a lot on the podcast because I truly believe that success doesn't happen on an island. You don't, you're not successful when you're alone. Opportunity and success comes from the people you're around and your opportunities and or consequences 
So the, re- the, the results of your life are dependent on who you surround yourself with, what you think about, what you do. And so you're exact. I, I just, I love that so much because if you're surrounding yourself with people that are less quality or misinformed, which everyone's opinionated and everyone wants to tell you what they should do or what you should do, not what they should do. That's just what you should do. Um, then you're, res- how can you expect to have good results? And, um, I think that's something we've always been very cautious about and you've done a great job surrounding yourself with quality people and understanding that it it's it has nothing to do with liking the people or not and nothing to do with that but it's just the source of your information right your your results are only good as the information that you receive and the people you're getting it from people will lift you up and take you to and help you right and so then everyone's successful along the path or you're not going to go anywhere and you're going to trip up so i just think that's awesome advice and two it shows so much on your journey and on your life and where you are now compared to where you started. It's was your choice to change your circumstances. Your siblings did not make that choice. Um, they had the same opportunities as you that none of that changed. Um, but you made the choice to leave those circumstances and surround yourself with better people and to do better things. Now, if there is anyone, since you can uniquely talk to this, in poverty or people that just literally are like, you don't understand. I have no opportunities. I don't even think. What do you tell those people and what are the first steps? Well, you're right. I obviously did experience this. And um, I, it's getting out of poverty is extraordinarily difficult. It's a cycle that we see all over our country and other places in the world that is almost impossible to escape from. And so you have to change your mindset and um, look for those who um, are good examples to get uh, to follow and also to work hard and make good decisions, personal decisions and life that will not set you back but move you forward and surround yourself with good people and um, mentors and uh, others that want to help you. And so, but it, at the end of the day, it's a personal choice and um, there's nothing also that uh, um, hard work, there's just, I can't say enough about just working very, very hard and looking for additional opportunities along the way to improve and step up and improve. You know, you uh, looking back, one of the things that um, you always told me growing up, which is always really good and to remember, is um, that life is not fair. And um, although on the outside, for most people, other people's life seems perfect um, and the journey seems smooth and easy, um, obviously we know because we've been on this journey, it's far from that, everything from poverty to um, you know, my health problems and losing that to think it's just, those never stop happening. The expectation that life should give you something for some reason is just ridiculous. Um, at least it seems that way to me. Cause I was always told life's not fair. So just get up and do something, right? Stop worrying about it. And you've, you know, that was always an example to me where it's like, it's, I'm not expecting life to be good. Like if it is great, 
but I'm taking control and I'm just going to keep going down the path. No matter what happens, we're just going to keep moving. And that is something that so many, this resilience um, that I just feel there's a lack of in the United States today. It is very much an expectation that life is not just fair, but life cares about you for foremost and for some reason that everybody else should too. And this is confusing to me because I didn't grow up this way and I've never known that to be true. And, um, you know, with all the problems that we've faced in life and all the troubles that we've had and, you know, that we've, we've seen and our, our lives are nowhere perfect and have been difficult uh, to extreme at, at, at times. How do you get rid of that mentality? And you know, How do you just say, there's just so many people that there's a million excuses, right? And you had just as many as anybody else, and we all do. How do you kick that? How do you say, listen, life's not fair. I'm going to worry about me, and I'm going to keep going. Like, what are the actions you should take? And how did you develop that mentality? Well, I think it, it's a challenge that you have to overcome because I remember always having, I guess, resentment that as a child, my father had passed away, that um, my mother, who uh, loved us so much and raised four of us kids by herself, was left in this circumstance and that we were in, you know, this poverty situation that I felt I couldn't do anything about or get out of. And it's interesting as I looked forward, though, and and as over time, and I worked my way out of that, by the time you were a teenager and your middle brother particularly, I remember one time came to me as we were having success in life. I think I was embarrassed by it, so we hid it from you, our kids, you guys. And I remember one time your younger brother came to me and said, Dad, somebody at school told me we were rich. Why did they say that? And I remember thinking, okay, um, to them, we were rich at the time. And they knew some things about us that I hadn't told you guys. Or their family had told them, their parents. And that's how they looked at it, that we were rich. And I remember we, your mom and I finally sat down. We talked about it and said, okay, we have to open up to our kids. We have to explain what's happening in life and the good things that were happening in terms of those type of things because we didn't want you guys told those things and couldn't figure out why people would say that. And, uh, and I was embarrassed and we were, if you will, trying to hide it from the general public, but some things you can't. And uh, we... I finally overcame that and decided that it was one of those things that we had to handle appropriately. We had to teach our children about it. And I think the term we used is, you can be spoiled, but you can't be spoiled rotten. That was unacceptable to us. We had to be humble about and grateful about where we had achieved and what we'd achieved. And we tried to always have done that. And we've um, spent... Years I've spent years on different uh, boards and, and entities that are charities to try and give back, to try and help those who are uh, disadvantaged and others around us as our way to deal with our success that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I always crack up listening to this stuff because I was um, 
very much not privileged to um, this kind of life that he may be speaking of. Uh, so I did not get the funds and goodies. I got, uh, I, I left the house um, and got a job when I was um, 16 and then started working for my dad on commission. So I did not get to enjoy any of this growth thing, my, uh, which I remind my, bro- my younger brothers who are, are years younger. We grew up in two very different households. <laughs> so I, I, I got to work for commissions and um, you guys got to play with all the, all, all the toys and, and have fun. But it's true, though. It's, that's a hard thing. And it's something that, you know, we obviously think about with my kids because the, even the standpoint from now to when you're talking about it's almost funny even thinking that at that point that was rich compared to where you are and where we are now, which is something that I don't even like, you know, for you guys, rich meant, you know, you were making six figures. I mean, I was a teenager when you, when you made your first six figures and that was wealthy to us. That was, you know, I remember we got to go to Sun Valley and we got to stay in a condo and it was like, well, this is hoity toity stuff, Right. And then all of a sudden, now, you know, with my kids, I, you know, I look at this, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to pull this off because it's just so different. And it's funny because when I look at the world, it seems like there's this idea that everybody is struggling and people that, once again, they're making more money than you made almost your entire life. And they think, woe is me. And they think, you know, this is unfair and things like that. And I remember, you know, once again, the little things were just mind blowing to us here in Idaho, right? We, we, we weren't in Southern California. We weren't privileged to any of those kind of things. And so when you gave us, you know, a trip, whatever, to see the ocean, it was a big deal. And when I look around the expectations today of what life should be given are so out of proportion with reality. And for me, I grew up where the we were just so grateful for everything. I was grateful to be working when I was 14 for the veterinary clinic. I was grateful for, to be digging ditches. And we were grateful for the time that we got to go play on the farm. And you installed that very well, that it's, we don't have expectations to receive, but we are extremely grateful for when we do receive. And that gratitude, um, you know, I obviously have that now because of, you know, growing up and you installed that in me. And what would you tell people though, that are, you know, once again, they're making almost more money than you did our entire lives, yet they're not grateful for what they have and think that they deserve or should have more. How do you change that? How do you, what, what would you tell people that are, I, I think, disproportionate to reality, right? They don't understand their own situation and how good it really is. Yeah. I think there's um, more visibility, more media attention to the, um, the different extremes in our country from the poverty to the very rich. I think that as a result of um, social media and other things, it's um, people have a different perspective and a different attitude and a different um, thinking about what they should have or what they should get. 
when I grew up, it was uh, people that um, were visible, successful people. You look to and you ask yourself, or I did, how can I someday be like them? What can I do to achieve that? Um, how can I get there? What route can I go? Uh, as opposed to um, I, somebody should give me that, or I, you know, it's wrong that they have that and that they achieve that success. Um, because these are people that had uh, worked hard their lives and done things right business-wise and other things to achieve that success. So I think it's one we have to be careful and not be too influenced by um, media and social media and other things to have the wrong perspective to lose track of how can I and what can I do um, to achieve that level or a level of uh, success that um, I'm happy with. And I think along the way, we have to make sure we're grateful for um, things. Sometimes we forget, you know, we're grateful to be in America. We need to be grateful for our country. Yeah, we have our challenges and it has its problems and stuff, but we're still, um, uh, you know, this. it's this country that has allowed people to achieve these kind of things. And so sometimes it's a lot better we than Brazil. Say, yeah, there you go. Yeah, or many other <laughs> countries. Most, yes, 90% most, of yeah, the world. Yeah, so, yeah, so I think we have to fortunate. not get too focused on all these uh, media-related things and look to improve, look to be a better businessman, look to achieve. And um, and that doesn't mean we have to be a billionaire or anything like that. Oh. It just means how can I achieve success that I am satisfied with, that is good for me personally, for my family, for my heritage. And um, those are the kind of things and that I enjoy doing every day and going to work. And I'm helping others by offering whatever service or um, asset that I have that is good for society. No, I, I love that. You know, I think that's, we're going to, that is just the cherry, cherry on top right there, you know, to just bring that back once again, the focusing on yourself and what you can do to change your circumstances, forget what other people are doing, mind your business, literally, like, Look at your business. What are you doing? View your finances, things like that. And then two, though, while you're, while, although you're trying to improve yourself, do not be ungrateful for what you have and do not be ungrateful for everything that you've been given, even no matter how small that was. And I think you're a perfect example of being grateful for simply the opportunity to improve your situation, um, to be in a place where you had the ability to do that, being in America and, you know, having the ability to choose for yourself. Um, I, you know, obviously to me, it's the, you know, greatest example um, for those of you that, you know, I lived through this. I, you know, I saw it. I can't speak enough to the path and, you know, what my father has overcome and done it really is aspiring so thank you for coming on thank you for telling everybody your story it's my favorite but i may be biased <laughs> so uh <laughs> but thank you so much um and you know anybody out there if you want to know anything more or whatnot you can contact me through social media you can go to our site bitterroot 
and email if you'd like to talk to my dad or anything like that. Let us know and we can get it. He's not big. I know you're going to be surprised. He's not big on the social media front. So that's going to be a tough one. But everywhere else, please reach out. Let us know what you think. And if you guys, if you love this episode, if you appreciated it, please give us a five-star and a good review. That makes all the difference on our podcast. That keeps us going. And we appreciate it. Thanks again, Dad, for coming on. You bet. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at Cashflow with the number 2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.